were worshiping him. And they cried out, Thou art worthy, O Lord. And we talked about the fact that God possesses worthiness. Because he is glory, because he is omniscient, omnipotent, because he has extended love, kindness, and grace toward us, the proper response to all of us who come into right relationship with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is to say, those of us who have repented of our sin, who have acknowledged our need for God, and who have entered into a new life through Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to doxazo God, to glorify God through worship. And that's the proper response. It's not that God is an egotistical God. It's that glorifying God is the proper response that one of his creation gives to him because he is worthy. So we come to God to worship because he is worthy. We have the opportunity to enter into an intimacy, as the song this morning was suggesting, with God through worship. And it's proper. It's as it should be. We are created, literally, to worship. That's a part of the very essence of our being as humans. We need to worship something. Now, for people who do not worship God, and we'll talk about this a little bit uh, later, the true God. Because people, like I said, they will worship something. All of us find that need to worship exercised in some fashion. And if we're non-believers, oftentimes we worship uh, music idols or we worship politicians or, or whatever. But we find that need to adulate and to lift up and to elevate someone or something. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the how of glorifying God worship. Now, as we talk about the how of worship, I'm not going to be giving you a technical lesson on the physical manifestation of worship. We're not going to be talking about that. What I want to talk about is based out of John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. And they have been having a discussion. Of course, many of you know the story of the woman at the well. She was an immoral woman. She had had five husbands. She was living with a man who was not her husband. And Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, speaking to a Samaritan woman who was immoral, that was extraordinary. And when his disciples came back and saw him doing this, they were astounded. But they did not challenge him because they had learned not to do so. But Jesus is speaking to this woman, and she is coming into a recognition that he is something unusual. And she says to him, I'm going to start back in verse 19. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. This is Mount Gerizim there in Samaria. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. 
This is the part that we're focusing in on this morning. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. So here Jesus is telling this woman that it's not a physical location in which worship occurs, but there's an attitude that accompanies true worship, a knowledge that is associated with true worship. That is what Jesus is saying to her. Now, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, and and many of you understand this, worship was very precise. God had given specific directions about how his people were to worship him, how they were to bring forth sacrifices and offerings to him. And the Jews were not to uh, divert from the directions God had given them. Worship was very precise. And yet, sometimes we have the notion that in the New Testament, anything goes. That it doesn't really matter how we worship as long as we worship. I would suggest to you that God's precision in worship remains. Look what Jesus said here. It says that the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in the spirit and in truth. This is, again, the how of worship. Now, the term there, translated worship, in the Greek is proskuneo. And what proskuneo means is literally to bow down and to kiss the ring. So Jesus is saying that the worshipers those who worship God will bow down before him and kiss the ring or acknowledge and recognize his worth, his position, and assume a posture that is consistent with that recognition, who God is. So when we worship God, when we proskuneo God, we bow down, we humble ourselves, we give obeisance to him, and we kiss the ring. The ring, of course, symbolic of his authority, symbolic of his position as sovereign over all things. So God is still precise in worship. He is seeking worshipers who will worship him in the spirit and in the truth. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about what it means first to worship in the spirit. When we worship in the Spirit, it means that we have come into a reality as beings that is no longer separated from God. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead, literally, in our sins and trespasses. Without Without Christ, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But God, through the gospel, has made a new and a living way into his presence. Now, how do we come into his presence? How do we become his sons and daughters? Well, Jesus said 
In John chapter 3, when he was having the conversation with Nicodemus, he said to Nicodemus, who was the teacher of Israel, he was a very uh, well-situated man. He was a person of prominence. He was in a position to teach Israel about God. And yet, Nicodemus did not know or understand what Jesus was speaking to him. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again of the Spirit. And Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, says, how can I re-enter my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of the Spirit and of the water, you will have no life in you. So we must be born again of the Spirit. That is the action that occurs upon our acceptance of belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms us from a dead corpse into a living being. It says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that we are regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit of God. So worship in the Spirit means that we have come into relationship with God by the rebirth of the Holy Spirit. And we are then in a position to worship Him in the Spirit. We have, as I mentioned earlier during the call to worship, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Now, that gets said Sunday after Sunday in churches throughout the world. But I want you to stop and think about what that implies. That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit the Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation. That same Spirit dwells in you. It says in Romans 8, 11, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead abides in you. Well, okay, that should blow our minds. But that's the truth of our existence as believers in Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us as a down payment, Paul says, of the fullness of the Spirit that will come upon the resurrection from the dead. So we worship in the Spirit when we are born again of the Spirit. Also, we worship in the Spirit when we are led by the Spirit. Now, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, that all those who are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. Are you a child of God? Absolutely. Then you are led by the Spirit. And you say to yourself, well, how does that work? What does that mean? How do I know I'm being led by the Spirit? As you grow in the Spirit, as you develop a knowledge of, an awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence within you and activity in your life, you become much more sensitive to the fact that the message that you're hearing is either from the world or from the Holy Spirit. I'll give you an example. You're sitting alone at home. You've been going through a very, very difficult time. And you think to yourself, 
I'm alone. And no one really cares about me. Voice of the Spirit or voice of the world? Because what does the Spirit say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you forever, even unto the end of the age. Let me give you another example. I'm worthless. I can't do anything. No matter what I try, it always seems to fail. Again, obviously, the voice of the world. But have you had that voice? Has that voice spoken to you? Yes, it has. What does the Spirit say? You are my workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are my masterpiece, my work of art. And so, when you're led by the Spirit, you become aware of the Spirit speaking to you through that still small voice inside of you, through the Word of God, through experience with other people, other believers, through circumstances that simply there are no other explanations for except for God ordained and led this circumstance. That's what happens to children of God. We are led by the Spirit of God. And that's what happens in worship. We understand that the Spirit is leading us, that God has directed us to a position or a point in life through a specific challenge that has occurred. And we understand being led by the Spirit that we are subsequently then to worship. This is what happened in John chapter 9. The blind man, born blind from birth, His first understanding of Jesus after Jesus had healed him and opened his eyes that Jesus was a man, a man of God, but a man. Later, in the course of events, the blind man, now seeing, says, I perceive that he is a prophet. But later, at the end of John chapter 9, Jesus comes to this man. He's been kicked out of the synagogue been rejected by the Jewish leaders. And Jesus said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him, and in fact, he is the one speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Listen. And he worshipped him. So there was a growing recognition of and leading by the Spirit that brought this man to a point of worship. So when we worship in the Spirit, we are led by the Spirit to recognize God's worthiness, to understand the circumstances of our life, cry out for us to worship Him. It is the Spirit who is at work in us causing that awareness to occur. Finally, to worship in the Spirit means to be immersed in the Spirit. Jesus told his disciples before he was going to ascend into heaven, he said, tarry here in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Because the disciples thought, okay, Lord, you're risen from the dead. Let's go. Let's, Let's conquer the Romans. Let's get this thing done. But Jesus said, no, that's not how it's going to work. Wait in Jerusalem and then you will receive power from on high. The Holy Spirit, Jesus told them, will come upon you. Now, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. 
the Bible says. The, the Greek preposition is en. The Holy Spirit is in you. But Jesus here in, in Rome or Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Greek preposition there is epi. And literally what it means is the Holy Spirit will pour out from within and pour over from above. It'll bubble over in every aspect. It's, it's, it's like when, when, when you start to pour a Pepsi into the glass and you pour it too fast and you say, whoops, I've got to stop, and it just overflows. That's sort of the P experience with the Holy Spirit. It's just overflowing you. But really, it's, it's more than that. It's like the, the, the Pepsi just keeps pouring into the cup and it's overflowing and it keeps flowing into the cup. That's being immersed in the Holy Spirit. And that is a worship experience that is literally constant, which is God's ultimate target for us. A worship experience that doesn't just occur on Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10.30. Or doesn't just occur in our quiet time in the morning or in the evening. But a worship experience that is so full of the Spirit, that is so overflowing with the power of God, that it is constant. This is what Paul was talking about when he spoke to the Romans about us becoming a living sacrifice. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So when we worship in the Spirit, we worship because we are born again of the Spirit. We worship in the Spirit because we are led by the Spirit as sons and daughters of God. We worship in the Spirit because we are immersed in, overflowing with the Holy Spirit all around us. Now, ultimately, I said God has a target for us. He describes that target in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to read this to you because it is just that powerful. There's a section here in, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians that people often quote, but then leave, they leave out the last part of this section. As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So we stop and we read that and we think, oh man, it's really going to be great when we get to that point. All of these things that the mind can't uh, conceive of, that the ear has never heard, that the eye has never seen. But that's not the whole, the whole verse. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. Whoa. Th that's talking about now, church. God has revealed to us these things. Now listen to this. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his own spirit? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, not the Spirit that says you're worthless, you're nothing, you'll never amount to anything, you're alone, everybody hates you. But we have received the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The Spirit, the, excuse me, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And they can't understand them because they are only discerned through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, you should go home and you should read through this passage a few times this week. And understand, this is God's target for you. That you have the mind of Christ through the Spirit of God that dwells within you, that comes upon you. And in that experience, your worship of God is enhanced in every respect. You can have the mind of Christ through the Spirit. It's not something that has to happen after the resurrection, although we will then see face to face, and we will then know fully as we are fully known. But here, Paul says that we have the mind of Christ through the Spirit of God. So that's what it means to worship in the Spirit. That's how we worship in the Spirit, developing that understanding. But Jesus says that we also worship in the truth, that the Father seeks those who worship him in the truth. So what is the truth? Well, the truth is the accurate revelation of God's nature. And the truth comes to us through a variety of sources. I'm going to talk to you, though, about the three preeminent sources through which we receive truth about who God is. The first revelation of who God is comes to us through creation. Everything we see around us, all of this beautiful earth, as we look up into the skies and see the stars and through telescopes farther beyond into the galaxies, the heavens declare the glory, the doxa of God. And we worship the God who is the creator. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that the creation around us reveals to us his eternal qualities and attributes. We understand through the creation that there is a creator. And this is where most all of humanity can start in worship with an understanding of a recognition that God is the creator, that this just didn't pop into existence. That that the stars, the galaxies, all of the intricacies of the human body It did not just pop into existence. There was not a Big Bang that somehow just happened. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we worship God as a creator. We understand that there is a creator because we see all of creation around us. That's the first level of revelation, of truth that comes to us. The second level of revelation that God has given to us is in his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God has given us his word to reveal to us who he is, what he is like, what he expects of us. There's no other book. There is no other manuscript. There is no other means in the entirety of the world through which God has communicated these things to his creation about himself. you got to go here. It's found in Genesis through Revelation. And God tells us all kinds of amazing and wonderful things about himself. If you read the insert in your bulletin today, you saw that God revealed to us his name. 
Y-H-W-H. Some people pronounce it Yahweh. Some people pronounce it Jehovah. No one really knows for sure because the Jews hallowed it so much they would not pronounce it. But God has revealed to us his name. God has revealed to us his expectation of a blood sacrifice for the payment of sin throughout the pages of the Old Testament. God has shown to us that there was a coming Messiah who he would send that would fulfill all of the promises given in the Old Testament. So this book reveals to us who God is, how he requires us to worship him, to interact with him, how we are then to live. So that's the second level of revelation. And upon that revelation, we worship. We worship God based upon the information we find in this book. The hymns and the songs that we sing ought to reflect accurately, as accurately as possible, what this book says about who God is and what God wants us to be and to do. But there's a final level of revelation of truth upon which we worship. And this is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Philip had just said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And, And Jesus said to him, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't understand? When you see me, you see the Father? Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So you want to know what the Father is like? You look at Jesus. And so we worship God through the Son, which is the preeminent revelation of truth to mankind. So when we worship God in truth, we worship him because we see he is the creator and has made all things. We worship him because he has given us special revelation about himself in his word, and we understand who he is better by that revelation. But ultimately, our worship should center around and upon Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not named in our worship, if Jesus is not the focal point of our worship, then we have missed the mark. That's why we're here this morning, church. We're here this morning because we want to meet Jesus and we want to elevate him and lift him up. Now, remember last week I spoke to you about the cycle of worship. And I'm going to conclude with this. The cycle of worship is very important. It's it's necessary that you understand this so that when you worship, how you worship comes through in a fashion that God approves of. First, worship begins with God unveiling himself to us. God reveals or unveils himself, something about himself. As I said, creation, his word, his son. God unveils to us something. See, there's, there's this concept known as prevenient grace, which essentially means that God is always previous. God always comes first. We never 
figure God out before he intends us to figure him out. Does that make sense? God always unveils himself. But as he unveils himself to us, we have the opportunity of response. He unveils something about himself, some truth that we heretofore did not understand. And because of that unveiling, we in turn ascribe to him worship because of that unveiling. God is sovereign. God is glorious. God, you know, all of these things, we begin to understand that. And we proskuneo, we bow down, and we kiss the ring because we recognize that. We ascribe worship in response to his unveiling. Now, there are a lot of ways that we can ascribe worship unto God that the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about worship being mental. In other words, engaging your brain in worship. This is not a mindless process. It says in Psalm 47 that we are to sing praises unto God with understanding, with an awareness of what we are doing. It's an intelligent faith. So we ascribe worship unto God through our mental faculties. We ascribe worship unto God through our emotional faculties. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. The psalmist wrote. David, when he was worshiping, began to worship so wildly that he disrobed himself. He got down to his linen undergarments and was dancing with all of his might. So much so that his wife was despising him in her heart. And when he entered into his home, and she said, well, you really dignified yourself in front of all the young maidens today, didn't you? And David responded to her and said, you know what? I'm going to be more undignified than this. My emotions overflow when I worship God. So we have an emotional connection when we ascribe worship to God. There's a physical aspect to our ascription of, of worthiness to God. We clap. We lift our hands. We bow before him. We engage our bodies in actions of worship. The Bible talks about all of those. Or we just sit in stunned awe. But regardless, our bodies are part of the mechanism of worship. And then we worship him, as we've talked about, spiritually. David wrote, my heart is ready to worship you. In other words, that deepest part of me, Lord, is ready to worship you. And that is true of us also, that the very deepest part of us has to be engaged in worship. So we ascribe worship to God in response to his unveiling. And as we do that, as we ascribe worship to God based upon his unveiling of himself, there is a process of elevation that occurs in our life. I spoke of this last week. I gave this as an example, and it's a very good one. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train filling the temple. And Isaiah, as he entered into worship, as the Lord cleansed him through a coal from the, 
the fire before the throne of God, Isaiah entered into worship. And as a result of that worship, as a result of Isaiah ascribing worthiness to God, God gave Isaiah mission. God said, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responded, here am I, Lord, send me. So as we worship, as we ascribe unto God worthiness, we are elevated in the presence of God. Mission and purpose is given to us by God. And that can occur in a wide array of ways. But it always happens as we worship. God will speak to us. God will engage us. God will direct us in our lives and elevate us. And as a result of that, we are subsequently then transformed. I talked about the fact that God has a purpose for each one of us. He has a purpose for your life, a plan for your life. And ultimately, that ends up at you being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it says in Romans chapter 8, that we will be conformed into his image. Glory to glory. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, from, from, from moment to moment, we are being transformed into the image of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are transformed through worship. God unveils, we ascribe, elevation occurs, and ultimately, His people are transformed from lost and lowly sinners into children of the great King. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We give you thanks and praise as you have unveiled to us this morning, no doubt, aspects of your glory that we had not before thought of. And I thank you for that. And here this morning, Lord, as we conclude with a song of worship, majesty, Lord, elevate us, transform us, Bring us closer to the image of Jesus Christ. Give us mission and purpose for our lives today and tomorrow. Through all of the hard things, through all of the difficult things that we are experiencing, Lord God, carry us through as we fly on the wings of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand now. We're going to sing that beautiful, beautiful hymn, Majesty. Majesty.